Welcome back to the Pet Cash Pod presented by ProFluence Sports. I'm your host, Andrew Pet Cash. As always, you can check out all the podcasts with athletes, investors, executives, and the smartest people in sports at profluence.com slash podcast. Today's guest, we got Ludwig Sangren. He goes through everything about owning an esports team, the business of it. He is currently the one of the co-founders and CEO of Godsent. They are a world-famous Swedish esports organization. There's a lot of intricacies in esports I didn't know about, a lot of different games, tons of learnings for me. I mean, it's just super interesting. I mean, we, we always hear about esports. It's massive. I mean, it's it's continuing to grow and Gen Z loves it. So definitely uh, the fact you're listening to this is smart on your end. And also it's entertaining with the mix of education. So without further ado, let's dive right into this one. Ludwig, appreciate you hopping on today. Excited for this one and have been for a while. Esports, huge industry. I just uh, got the new Call of Duty game not too long ago, which has been fun. I'm not, I'm not as good as I used to be. I was, I was a little bit better when I was in college and high school. But but anyway, thanks for coming on. Excited to dive into it with what you guys are doing and, and your team and, and just the space in general. Okay. Thank you for having me. Is that the only game to play or do you play in other titles? Play, I play Madden, FIFA, maybe not so many games that esports competitions lie in. I played a little bit of Fortnite here and there. And then, yeah, I'm not, I'm, I'm sort of a bandwagon gamer. I just hop on new games, playing for a few months. I enjoy the social aspect of it and then it, it sort of dies off. But yeah, I guess a great place to start. You know, what's your journey? What was the motivation behind diving into the esports world and then building and owning a team and, and the whole, uh, whole nine yards and, and origination of godsend so my journey began approximately eight years ago or something of the sort when i was working as a business lawyer and i got a case uh, in which uh, another esports club was supposedly or was supposed to be incorporated into a swedish company that club was alliance which won the international in dota 2 in 2013 if you're, are you familiar with the, uh, the International? A little bit, but uh, some other people might not be, so probably just give a quick overview of that oh, as well. Okay, but Dota 2 is uh, one of two popular esports titles, which are a MOBA in this day and age. The biggest one being League of Legends, in which the world final is called Worlds. And that is actually ongoing right now, the, uh, the, the final stage of the playoffs there. So I think it's the semifinals and the finals left or something of that tournament. In Dota 2, the other MOBA, which popular, the final or the world final is called the International. And uh, the club then that I was part of incorporating into a Swedish company was Alliance, which won that tournament in 2013. And the International is famed for having the biggest prize pool in esports. Back in that day, it was, it was big for that time, I think, when the, uh, the Alliance won it in 2013. They won $1.5 million, maybe. But the international, much later on, for instance, I think in 2021 or 2022, exceeded maybe $40 million in total price. Oh, wow. So it was, yeah, that was a crazy year. But that's at least how I came into esports. And then I began working for that club, Alliance, when, I, when it uh, was a Swedish company. And approximately one year after being in Alliance, I got the opportunity to collaborate with some players that I've gotten to know and uh, found, founded that which became godsent or is godsent today my 
well, this club that I'm running and the CEO of now. So that's how it all began. And uh, to say, uh, well, something I can say about that was that I was informed by a vision that I believed that I could contribute with higher standards of professionalism and sophistication in in the approach to performance and the sport and running an organization in general. That was a vision that drove me to start my own club because I thought that if I put some such structures in place, we could definitely have an edge. Um, yeah, yeah, that's awesome. And in terms of starting the team, like you decide one day, okay, I want to build this team and do this. Mm. What's the process begin? Like, I'm sure there's a million things you sort of got to cross over to to get done and, and have a real legit team competing in competitions. Yeah, well, I was very fortunate. The timing of everything was fortunate. First of all, I got to work and run a club or be part of the running of a club, which already had some status in the world and which was at that point in time regarded as a tier one esports club because it has won the biggest prize in Dota or the biggest prize pool in the world at that point. So I got some insider, like I got a quick, a very quick learning curve for that reason and then uh, during uh, i had the opportunity to just start collaborating with some players that i got to know and could convince them of my vision for what this organization could be and thankfully they joined and then i had a core of a team with three players that was leaving elias at that time which i started uh, this team and this club with then uh, the matter of financing was maybe and still is i suppose a very, very big and difficult question, but I sold my apartment at that time, got, uh, and together with uh, another friend and partner, we got together 30,000, approximately $30,000, which could finance the startup of that and have player salaries for maybe just a few, just a few months. And that was that, that's how we got going. And then it was uh, moving on from that point in time, trying to raise money and getting sponsorships and just getting on with the business really with very little financing in, in comparison to well other organizations in the world yeah in terms of the day-to-day of of a team what does that look like now in, in the esports world and what are you as uh you know the founder ceo sort of overseeing it you know, what is what are your sort of day-to-day obviously every day is a little different but what's what's sort of the typical here's what i what we're doing and getting done over a year-long basis yeah, so in regards to the teams, I would say that and organizations in the upper in the upper levels of competition, I would say that deprofessionalization and sophistication of the organizations now are on par with sports in many regards. It's a very serious business running an organization with personnel and support staff. In our case, we would have a psychologist working with the team every week and following up and doing reviewing such things as their mental health, their physical health, their eating, their sleep schedules, such things. So that's a big development for over the last few years, I'd say, where we see that in now that's one. The other one would be the commercial uh, commercialization of uh, the scene or the sport at large like that now. And for a long time now, like big brands are in esports and have been in esports for a long time. The tournaments are huge. The viewership is continuing to grow. And also the amount of players is continuing to grow. So even though it's 
still comparatively to to sports, a small industry, the commercialization are really starting to mature now. And that's really cool to see because that means I believe that the sport is definitely going to have a, a strong future and continue to grow. Yeah, and in terms of the numbers of esports, what does that look like? Do you have some stats behind the numbers of the growth? I mean, we you talked about earlier just the the tournament prize money basically mm. over 10x in in less than a decade. What a mm. what is the look like from the number of player like esports athletes, players, whatever you call it? I mean, just some of the, some of those things I, I think could be pretty interesting because it, it has experienced massive growth. First of all, one must segment the question a little bit to because there's going to be different numbers. So first of all, there's so many different games. So each game is uh, going uh, to have its own trajectory. And then there's a difference in between the, the measurement of the audience, how big that would be, how many people are watching in comparison to how many people are playing the game itself. So my sport or our sport is Counter-Strike and that broke a player record uh, as of September in relationship to the release of Counter-Strike 2. And I thought, I think it was maybe 31.5 million players that was locked into Counter-Strike during that month. For another game such as Port Night, I think the amount of players is going to be the double. That's probably in the vicinity of, or above 50 million. I am not, I don't, I don't have great understanding of the recent statistics in general, but I think for instance, now Worms is going and I, I read recently that I broke a VR a viewership record in concurrent viewers where it was a 2 million concurrent viewership which is quite quite big in comparison to sport if we were to compare it for instance with say the McGregor versus Khabib fight in the UFC I think like a big UFC fight scores maybe 5 million pay-per-views so it's it's halfway a big UFC fight it's getting big but and it's really like leaning into the mainstream slowly but surely I think the biggest uh, concurrent viewership on in Counter Strike is going to be half that somewhere, somewhere, someplace above one million, maybe that would be a, may, maybe a major fine or something like that. Yeah, I mean those are legit real numbers. That's it probably puts uh, in the top five. I would say like two million viewers probably puts you in like top five or top ten, and just mm. in terms of all events, which is which is pretty crazy. Now, in terms of countries, like, are there certain countries where a lot of these players come from or, or that just sort of dominate the space? Because it seems to be regional as well. You see certain areas that esports is much hotter in than others. Yeah, it, it's definitely different regions are strong, but stronger than others in terms of, in terms of competition. But it's also like extremely spread and very global. But some games have a prominence in different areas of the world. So, for instance, League of Legends is very... The competition there is not seldom dominated by South Korea and China, whereas Europe is historically not as strong as Asia. Still strong and still have a good scene and big scene, but there Asia is really competitive. Whereas in Counter-Strike, it's kind of the reverse. In Counter-Strike, it's a very heavily dominated sport in, from Europe and a little bit from the United States. But right now, Europe is the place of Counter-Strike where most of the best teams and the best players are playing in European, European teams. And there is only one slot awarded to Asia for the major out of 24 teams. 
uh, whereas maybe 15 for for Europe. So Europe definitely dominates Counter-Strike. In in Dota, which is another MOBA, which I have have a history in, it's also quite spread. China is strong there. Uh, Europe and United States is strong, however, not South Korea. So it's going to be different for every game. I, I I don't know. These are the games and the most the more classic esports titles that I have the most knowledge about. I I wouldn't know what what it is in Fortnite, for instance, or uh, Call of Duty. I believe it's going to be a very heavily American dominated sport, where most of the the fran- the, the biggest franchise there is. Most of the teams are in the United States, and most of the viewership is likely also in the United States, to my knowledge. Makes sense. Yeah. So it's sort of regional based on games and there's Mm. many niches within esports as a whole. Now, in terms of scouting and recruiting talent, which is obviously, uh, I mean, you have to do, it's a key component for you. And what qualities and skills are you looking for in players to build competitive teams or, or what are you doing sort of to identify talent and then recruit them to come play for for godsend and you know hopefully win championships and lots of prize money with them well first of all depending on like on, on what level we're speaking but if we're t- speaking in terms of youth you're just gonna you're gonna look for skill first of all for first of all or talent that is in the game then it's dedication and, uh, and values so where dedication might be regarded as a value so that's what you're looking for and uh, will to work in some sense, mm-hmm. you know. And in terms of like what what makes a talented player? Like what is it? Is it stats, scores, wins? Like what sort of goes into that in esports? Because sometimes it can be a little. It's different than traditional sports. A lot of what what that looks like. Yeah. So it's gonna be ability to play at high levels in uh, in comparison to your your age in some sense. Or if if we're so thing with esports is like in many of the games even the public games or the games that anyone can play like there will there's going to be ladders everywhere so it's going to be quite easy to detect if someone is very good because maybe it's, we have one player in our organization for instance who can carry his weight in games with professional players online and he's 40 years old and he's part of one of our youth teams so it's, I, I would gather it's the same as in sports to some degree, you know, when I, like, you can just see that a 15-year-old or 16-year-old football player can play with people that are much older and on a higher level than himself, and he can carry his weight there. So that's how you detect it, and that's also that opportunity for a player that is scouted and is entering into such environments also like gets an extra boost because of the opportunity to gain even more skill and experience because he's competing and playing with yeah even more skilled players so that's kind of how it plays itself yeah. out and these things are kind of in the know in the market like everyone everyone who plays all the players know each other in some sense it's just as it's just as in football or sports you know like people know who the good players are these things show early i'd say that makes sense yeah no it makes mm. Now, do you view esports as a sport or do you view it as completely different? Because sort of in there, you're saying sports, like almost yeah. as separate. Some people sort of bucket them as one, but from internally as, you know, talking to players and obviously owning the team, like how do you guys view esports? I view it's, I, I talk about it and I regard it as a sport. And uh, then I used, uh, then I maybe 
I used um, e-sport as sports and uh, a separator sometimes, but I view it as a sport in the general sense because it's definitely a matter of competition and it's extremely sport-like. Also, just as of this year in Sweden, the e-sports federation was elected into the general national sports federation, which makes it uh, regard, which makes it so that it is a sport were regarded as a sport in Sweden and esports now is eligible for the same kind of funding and subventions and such that uh, regular sport is. So, right, we have just as of this year gained the same sta- status as any other sport has in Sweden and are therefore operating on the same terms and structures. Very cool. Yeah, and in terms of uh, esports as the business, and you talked a little bit earlier about the financial aspect of it, but you know how how are you generating revenue? What what are you know what does that whole world look like? Because I'm sure there are some different sort of revenue streams than traditional sports per se. Yes, there's going to be different opportunities for revenue streams in gaming to some extent due to the nature of, uh, well, the games and the digital nature of it. But also I'd say that the best way to understand the business of an esports club is to like compare it to a sports club or a football club or so, because the biggest revenue streams are the same. So m- most of our income comes from the packaging and selling of different kind of marketing association rights, marketing solutions, media content that kind of thing to brands uh, and to consumer brands so that's that is that is our biggest income and it's also one of the biggest income for say football club alongside income from media rights or tournament participation rights and such and that is also a very big income in many of the games for instance in league of legends the biggest uh, it's a it's a complete franchise system in Counter-Strike, it's an open system, but if you were to qualify and compete at the major, you become part of pretty lucrative skins and stickers, in-game stickers programs, which uh, can yield some good income. And uh, well, same goes for Dota as well, and many of the other games, uh, I think. So Rainbow Six and all, almost all the big esports titles now have some kind of kickback structure for skins and in-game cosmetica so it's in many regards the the income and the revenue is comes looks quite the same to our just a regular sports club and what uh what like partnerships or what brands are really coming in to this space is it similar to sports again or is it more like headphone companies controllers Mm. a mix and what, what does that look like from the sponsorship world it's an interesting question and it's a big, the answer in big terms is going to be like all, all brands almost in this day and age have some kind of esports engagement. But so if we were to like, it's going to be, but also the classical sponsorship brands such as Red Bull is a big player in esports. I think they are sponsoring many, many teams and many tournaments, all the big, all the biggest tournaments, Monster as well. But of course, something that's even more prevalent in esports are gaming peripheral brands, uh, such as headphones, you say, and like computer brands and hardware, different kind of computer hardware solutions and brands. Uh, Razer is going to be a big, big sponsor or AMD or Intel, for instance, have their own tournament series, which has been going for 10, in between 10 and 20 years by now. So 
big, big computer hardware brands, but also all the classical brands. Uh, MasterCard is sponsoring the Legends, the World Series, I think. And I think uh, one cool, one cool sponsorship that I think is still going is uh, the Louis Vuitton one, which is mm-hmm. uh, sponsoring the true trophy of uh, Worlds in League of Legends, which they also do for, for instance, many other prominent sports, such as I think the Wimbledon event, where the uh, the trophy is, is boxed into a Louis Vuitton box of sorts. Mm. Yeah, so that's one cool. another prominent example. Yeah, no, that's great. And I didn't realize there's some big brands that sort of host their own tournaments. That makes sense uh, in a mm. lot of different ways. Now, in terms of the structure of the leagues, and like, let's just, for example, look at football or soccer, whatever people refer to it as here. You know, you have Premier League, then there's MLS, then there's, you know, Saudi Pro League. There's all these different leagues, right? In esports, mm. obviously, there's different, really different games, which almost are like different sports within a high level. What does sort of the league structure look like or you know, how does that all play out? Because I'm sure there's even tiers of better leagues, just like there are Premier League to Champions League. Yeah, you put it quite right there. That, that's, that it is as such that each esport, each esports title, meaning each game is going to have their own structure. So it's different for each game. So if we, if we go through, if we just have a look at the biggest one where League of Legends then it has different tiers of leagues. It's going to have a national league, which, and then there's going to have a regional league, which is a, let's call it a tier one franchise. So in Europe, it's called the LEC, which is the European League of Legends tier one franchise. I think it's called the LCK in Asia or in South Korea. And it's the Chinese tier one league. And it's 10 teams, I think, in each of these. And they all qualify for worlds and they are all closed franchises where you basically have to buy a spot and that's the only way to get get in and i think the last one that sold for instance in the lec was when schalke 04 sold its franchise spot to a, what i think was a swiss organization for 20 i believe it was 25 million euro yeah so that's what the tournament participation asset is priced at right now approximately in between 20 and 30 euro or dollars that that is in league of legends yeah that's pretty that's that's around it's like in between almost mls and us usl sort of teams uh in the us for soccer just for comparison for anyone now in terms of the future of esports and where it's headed you know what, what are some of the trends you're paying attention to or or where you see it going or, or things changing up because even in the last 10 years since you started there's been a ton of innovation and, and things go different ways the most exciting thing that is happening first of all exciting is that it sees it's seeing continual growth in terms of player base and audience in the biggest titles you're seeing uh, the influx of capital and ownership for instance, recently, Saudi Arabia have been investing heavily into gaming and into esports and uh, formed a few new, new tournaments. They have taken over the ownership of the biggest tournament organizers, uh, organizer in the world, which will be the ESL DreamHack group or ESL Face It, I think the company is called now. So, so people are investing into the system and they are there for portraying that they have a vision for esports that's long term that's why Saudi Arabia does it and other big investors and that makes it uh, that's great because that means that we are 
where we are here to stay. We will see a frightening future with continual growth and maturation, and we will see bigger price pools, bigger tournaments, but also a maturation of the commercialization of the sports where clubs are going to become better at monetizing their product and getting better at making money and just uh, finding sustainability. And I, I, that's so that's that's maybe on a global scale and esports at large. Then, of course, we are a Swedish company and a Swedish organization. And uh, something that excites me on that score is that, well, I told you that it's become regarded as a sport in our nation now. And the Nordics have historically been one of the most competitive regions in the world in esports and still is. And uh, we are not going anywhere, really. It, it really is as a it seems to me that Sweden is also seeing a resurgence in in sports where people are people are still interested in it. Numbers of viewers are growing. Brands are continuing to coming in and wanting to be part of esports and sponsoring teams and players and tournaments. And so it seems like we are going to a future into a future where uh, this well digital sports will thrive and be part of well. Be part, have a have a big part in the future of uh, sports culture. So that's I find that quite big given uh, what I do. I agree. Yeah, no, yeah. that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, Louis, this has been fascinating conversation. Tons of great learnings. I've definitely picked up a bunch of stuff. Understanding esports even better now than before. Where can we uh, watch you guys play or learn more about your team and what website, socials, wherever? Where where can we get that info? Yeah, uh, so you can find uh, us on, well, Godsent is the name of the club. and we have, G-O-D-S-E-N-T. Exactly, and you will find us uh, on Twitch or on Instagram or on Twitter. So follow us wherever you want to stay tuned uh, and you will find our matches if you want to see us play Counter-Strike, uh, which is our the game in which we have our legacy. And we have been in the World Top 20 in Counter-Strike since Tatus is... 2016 and uh, we're right now we are aiming at the highest and in due time we will become the most successful Counter-Strike organization in the history mm. of the world. Let's go get that title. Yeah, man. <laughs> that's what we need to do. A few of them yeah. to become that. Yeah, a few of them every year. Create yeah. the mm. new dynasty. Yes, sir. 